I've got with me down the line in Sydney, Maz Compton, who is gone from TRL, MTV, VJ, to radio, personality, to author, to all sorts of other creative, to gym owner, to God knows what else you're doing with your life that you haven't told me about. How are you, beautiful? I'm so good, Jez. You, that's such an interesting introduction because it makes me sound like I'm really cool. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we've got to do. We've got to make each other feel cool. All that stuff happens. Like, I've jammed a lot into 38 years on the planet. And it's all been a journey. It's all in your book, The Social Rebellion, which I absolutely love because it's like, it's basically a guide to going alcohol free and just by trying the first month. I've basically done that by experimenting myself, not by a a particular guide because I I found that alcohol wasn't really serving me. It wasn't making me feel good. And you're an expert in all of this and the science of why that is happening and why people are drawn to it and all that stuff. So I'd love to really delve into why, I mean, why you did it to begin with. Like what was your feeling around alcohol and, and it's your relationship with it? It was actually really similar to what you just articulated, Jez. I was in, it was in 2014, it was, um, I was living an oxymoron. So (laughs) on paper, my life was so on point. I had a great national drive show. I'm pretty sure you and I hung out a lot and drank. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> at bars <laughs> and parties and yeah we did we ha- and, and so I was in this you know great season in my career I just met this awesome guy um and he was living in Sydney so we were long distance dating so I was falling in love and mm-hmm. I just everything on paper was coming up Maz Compton but I realized towards the end of that year that I was doing this behavior every day that wasn't serving me and that was drinking alcohol so Alcohol for me was something that I didn't really identify with having an issue with until I just really thought about it. And the the alarming moment was when I thought to myself, you know what, I really don't want to go and drink this weekend, but I have to because one of my friends is turning 30. Um, another one of my friends is visiting from Sydney. There's that work crew catch up on Sunday at lunchtime. And I know that that will go well into the evening. And when you say statements like that, like I can't not drink, that for me was a really big red flag. And I think that that was one of the, the catalyst moments where I went, I probably need to get my alcohol consumption in check. And so I started exploring how to do that. So initially, I just felt a little bit uncomfortable with my relationship with alcohol, but I I wasn't, you know, at rock bottom. I wasn't falling down, you know, after work. I wasn't missing work. I never drove my car when I was drunk. Like I did not tick all of those boxes that we associate with somebody that might have alcohol dependency disorder or be referred to as alcoholic. I was the opposite of that. I was killing it in life. But internally, I now realise I was unable to deal with the emotional pressure and stress that had accumulated in my life after a series of pretty traumatic events. But I only know that now because I've been on the journey. I, there's, I did not realise that at the time. So, I mean, like, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that because it's something that is so embedded in our cultural norm and on the narrative that we don't really ever stop to think if it's good um, because it just comes part of the parcel of socialising, really. And that's why I love the book's title, The Social Rebellion, because the challenge, I think, comes, as you would probably know as well, 
when you just don't want to drink or maybe even just dial it back to begin with by just having one drink tonight if it it's a it's a real challenge mentally and socially because we're social creatures and it's in our biology that we're you feel like you're you know we're going to get rejected by the pack or that you know it's a quite it'll be a deep a deep seated um fear of death really the social rejection it is so i remember in late 2014 thinking it would be impossible for me to live a month of my life without drinking like actual <laughs> impossibility and, and i think that to me now is such a foreign concept because I believe anything is possible now. But again, it's only because I went on the journey. And it, and you're right, it is so ingrained in our culture. And one of my biggest fears was, and I think everyone, one of everybody's biggest fears is rejection because we're hardwired for connection. And we don't like it when people don't like our Instagram posts and we don't like it when people don't share things that we care about because it makes us feel good. And so, you know, the social validation that you get by doing what everyone else is doing is ingrained in our nature. So that it, that's why I called it the rebellion because I'm like, I have to I have to do the rebellious act and not drink and then I have to be so okay with that choice regardless of the outcome because I need to do something good for me because I am suffering here and that's what it really came down to and as much as um, I had great friends I I didn't expect anybody to understand that and most people didn't but I had to put my health and well-being um, as a higher priority than other people's opinions and that's a really difficult thing to do. And so was there an actual pivotal moment where you because you flicked the switch and just stopped cold turkey almost, you called us, so to speak. Well, the pivotal moment of realising that I needed to do something um, because what was happening is I was doing I was doing the same behaviour. So I was hanging out with the same friends, you know, doing this really high-pressure job. And, and the one thing I could change was my relationship with alcohol. I couldn't, I didn't want to quit my job because I loved my job and I really enjoyed hanging out with my friends. I had to redefine something in order to get a different result because if nothing changes, nothing changes. So I knew I was already there um, mentally. I was like, okay, I need to shift something up in my life in order to get a different result. And then on the 5th of September, a really good friend of mine, my manager at the time, Mark Byrne, suddenly died of a heart attack. And when you suffer a great loss and go through a really tragic event, I think it's just natural that you take a big look in the mirror. And Mark's death really woke me up to what I wanted to do on this planet because I don't know how long I'm going to be here for, so let's make it worthwhile. So I went on a journey to, to grieve with the death of my friend and through that journey in those next two months, I came up with a plan and the plan was let's take January 2015 off alcohol and see how that benefits my life. And during that month, every time somebody would offer me a drink, I said, no, I'm good, thanks. And I would think about Mark and making him proud. So for me, it was this really beautiful way of like positively grieving for my friend and actually processing that grief rather than going the other way, which would have been neck a bottle of wine, 
to cope with the grief that I was feeling. So I dealt with the issue. Um, I honoured my friend's life. And then halfway through that month, or maybe it was day 21, I think, something switched in me and I then started to not drink for me. And I have not had a drink for three and a half years because the benefit that I received, and it gets better, like year on year, month on month, it blows my mind how much better life is without alcohol for me personally, um, that I just probably won't ever drink again because I don't want to stop whatever's going on. Like whatever I'm putting out in the universe is really great for me right now. So I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to change that. So I'll just keep going with that. So initially, yeah, there was a really traumatic event in my life and that I think it pushed me, like it just backed me into this corner where I went, it's going to go one of two ways. You're going to end up losing it or you can embrace it and deal with it. And I chose to deal with it. And and then the way in which I dealt with it really was the, the bones for the social rebellion three and a bit years later. I love how you detail the positive steps to what alcohol free life is and there are so many and clearly from the way you speak now you can just see your the tone in your voice and your happiness and like it's it's too good to not compromise now like your nervous system is stronger your whole body is more glowing you feel more on purpose you feel more capable more energy and i don't know i think i think just applaud you on that on that shift of um digging into the pain or pushing into the pain because i think that's and and having a mechanic i suppose where you could serve your higher self with your, you know, a real dear friend Mark's um, passing. So it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful and powerful thing you did, I think. And real, it's super admirable because I think it is so easy to just do the opposite. Like the easier thing is to just drown out. And and this is this is more of a spiritual thing. It's more like anything, something, anytime something traumatic or any kind of suffering happens. I think I'm, I'm exploring that a lot at the moment in myself like the purpose of darkness or the purpose of pain like not to get too biblical but the lord said and i'm not christian i just i think it's true basically the creator of everything or the or or everything said that i created all the darkness and all the light so it's kind of to neglect the darkness and think of it as other and bad and evil or not good for us is is truly ignorant of a of a more expanded state of consciousness of which is embracing it and what's the learning? It's the teacher. You know, it, it shows us our, our weak points or it shows us how we can grow and how we can evolve. And if we didn't have that mechanic in nature, we wouldn't actually probably be able to evolve. It's true. And I think, I mean, further to that point, I think unless there is darkness, there is no light because yeah. you can't, if it's all light, well, you don't know because it's all light. <laughs> So the darkness creates the light. And I was having, um, I I catch up with my mum a lot. We're very, very close. And um, we used to catch up for afternoon wines and now we have tea. And we had a tea the other day and she, it's really actually quite cute. So she's read The Social Rebellion and I asked her to read it before I published it. And she said, no, she's like, because she's my mum and she's like, a hundred years old she was like I can't read it on my screen I have to have the physical book 
I'm like, yeah. oh, mum. So anyway, so when I got the first print run done, I gave mum a copy of the book so she could hold it in her hot little hand and read it. And so she's finished reading it and, um, and we were having a chat and she said, you know what, Maz? She goes, I remember those days when you were in Adelaide and in Melbourne and you were, you know, living away from here and you were going through so much and your job was so intense. And she goes, I just used to pray for you all the time that you would just be able to manage with all the pressure in your chosen career, like all the self-pressure I put on myself, but also like I chose that path. I don't regret it at all. I'm so glad I worked in media for 12 years. And she goes, but had you not have stepped through all of that, where would we be today? She's like, you would not be able to turn around and help people because your story would have no merit or worth because you you have been the broken person at the beginning of that journey and now look at what it's turned into and it was just such a nice way i think to acknowledge the dark seasons in my life and and the times that i really struggled and i battled with a dependency that it is possible to not only just get a handle on that and be good with that but then to use that story to help other people and that's what i love about the position i'm in now is just to be able to go, guys, I did this I did this wild and crazy thing. It's called stop drinking alcohol. <laughs> and it's totally doable because I do it every day and it will make you a better human being. Why don't you give it a go? And here are the steps that I used. And I just love the evolution of, you know, of my story from darkness into light and then sharing the light. I think that's the next step is to then, you know, out of out of that, let it be a gift to others. That's the service thing or the guru who finds enlightenment in the mountains. What use is that wisdom and embodiment of total all-seeingness unless it's given to? I think that's such a natural next step is to give it back to people. And the tricky with that is, and I'm sure you find this and I'd be interested in what your thoughts on it, is like how you do it in a way that's not preachy essentially. How you do it in a way that's like embraces their, their humanity, you know, and and isn't talking to them. And I think you've done that lovely in the book, but has that been a challenge in yourself? Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, it's great that I've gone through this amazing transformation. Um, But really, no one else cares that much, I think. Everyone's just concerned with their own stuff. And so... What I, that's why the 31 days for me is, is my offering because I've gone through this epic life transformation and that is a win for me, it's a win for my family and it's a win for the people in my circle but you've got to experience it for yourself and so the way that it becomes manageable I think and, and achievable for people is to go just give it a try and see how you go because I know how much I changed in four short weeks, I felt, Jez, I actually felt like I had been given a new brain after 31 days of not drinking alcohol. It was like, it wasn't just, it was more than my eyes became open. It was like I got a brain transplant and I was able to think clearly for the first time in 20 years. Like that is how revolutionary it was for me. And I don't know if that's a direct... I don't know if it's a direct result of how much alcohol I was drinking. I mean, it could, it could <laughs> yeah, it like, like there's that as well. I'm like, 
maybe maybe someone who just has a couple of cheeky glasses of wine during the week, like they'll get to the end of the 31 days and go, now I feel the same. But, (laughs) But yeah, I think, you know, you've got to, life is, you've got to go out and experience it. And, and so I would say to people who are scared, because I was so scared, like, what is the worst that's going to happen if you don't drink for four weeks? Like, it's not, I'm not asking you to do home surgery on your leg that you could really balls up and have a leg amputated. Like, I'm just suggesting that you stop doing a behaviour that's having an adverse effect on your life for four weeks and see what it looks like. And so... For me, again, that's the achievable part because that's how my journey started. And it's also not about, well, I don't think anyway, it's it's necessarily about never, ever, ever drinking again, ever, ever. It's just about managing your relationship with alcohol because I don't think that alcohol is the issue. I think our relationship with it is. And I think yeah. our relationship with it is not great because it is the most addictive substance on earth. <laughs> and it's Which very bonkers. accessible. It's bonkers. It blows my mind. It actually <laughs> blows my mind. It's crazy that like someone like marijuana or or plant medicines aren't actually, which actually the classic psychedelics are impossible to be addicted to and they have zero toxins in them and they actually heal your psyche and allow you to resolve things if facilitated in the correct set and set. And obviously it's not for everyone as well. It's for those that, like alcohol is not for everyone. So it's something like that. I I just jumped into the psychedelic realm really quickly. It's uh, funny that you mentioned that though, because I've just been listening to, there's a Joe Rogan episode with Michael Pollan and they talk about psychedelics because Michael Pollan's new book is about it. And it really blew, because at first I was like, you what? Like you took what? And what happened? And how is that okay? But... On doing a bit more research, I'm like, oh, it's just, it's a plant out of the forest, so it's out of the ground. (laughs) Surely that's okay. But yeah. Straight out of the ground. It's also like we have these, you know, we all have these biases that are just ingrained in us. And so in our society, it's actually fine to drink a bottle of wine with your friends when you're having a bad day, but it's not okay to shoot up heroin. find an actual resolution. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, or to maybe go to a therapist and process your emotions like yeah, you have the yeah. capacity to do. So that becomes the big societal struggle because it's... And I used to do this too. If I'd had a good day, I'd have a drink. Bad day, drink. Um, friend had a bad day. Come over, let's have wine. Like, it was every every solution I ever came up with was the one solution. Let's drink alcohol. But it doesn't change the circumstance or the problem. So alcohol just stops your brain working. So it gives you a a little moment of escapism, right? That's what it's given us, a moment of um, we don't have to worry about our things. We can get some distance from our things. Correct. And the the way that – and look, Jez, I'm not a scientist at all, so please, anyone listening who thinks I'm a scientist, this is not scientific fact. This is just my little opinion. (laughs) But – um, what I think happens is, so let's give, let's use an example like um, you've had a really long week you're, and you're really stressed out and you want to have a drink to take the edge off and to relax yeah. you. I think that's a very, very common situation on a Friday afternoon. So yeah. you're feeling exhausted, maybe stressed, and you just want to relax, take the edge off so you have a glass of wine. When that alcohol goes into your system, it changes the neural pathways in your brain. So what actually happens is your brain stops connecting with your body. So that gives you a feeling of relaxation. 
but it's actually causing more stress in your body because your brain is not working at its optimum capacity. So you're so nothing actually you don't actually get relaxed. You cause more stress in your body, but because your brain is just checked out and is not feeling what your body is going through, you feel relaxed. So the real effect of alcohol is the next day when you feel like utter ass and yeah. you're dehydrated and you've got the worst hangover and it's awful. That's the actual effect of alcohol. It's not that instantaneous, your brain's not working for a few minutes uh, or maybe a few yeah, hours, depending on how many tables you danced on. I don't know. But I don't behave yeah. that way after drinking three soda waters. And it, how funny is it when you are sober and you see people shit-faced? It's prehistoric and happily judging here because it, it is what it is. <laughs> Also, when you went through that kind of this journey, as we talk about, like how everyone's got their individual journey of essentially really awakening or self-realization or coming home to source or whatever you want to call it. And as you did that and as you um, in those like three years ago when you kind of got serious, I suppose, about committing to yourself like that, what kind of things, did you find any things just unearthed that you like little demons, not demons, but you know, like darkness or bad habits or things because as you start to awaken I find more and more shit just coming to the surface yeah I do so the um in the 31 day kind of blueprint that I've written in the book um I think it's maybe on like day eight or something um so just to explain that each day of the 31 days there's like a little kind of there's just a bit of a like, hey, read this kind of thing to set you up for your day. And then every day there's a daily mission, which is like a practical thing that you do because when you have a thought and you marry it with a physical action, it will actually get imprinted in your body. And then there's like a little daily mantra. So, Is it dizzy, uh, day eight's Dizzy Rascal quote? And then the daily shot is listen to your inner voice rather than your everyone else's? Well, one of them, so the daily mission around there is to go and buy a box of tissues. And the reason, yeah. or maybe it's day two, the reason I explain to people that you might need a box of tissues is because when you stop drinking alcohol and it takes about 48 hours to 72 hours for all the ethanol to get out of your liver or for your liver to pump it out of your body. So three days wow. in, you, you are then, you've gone through the worst physical part of the detox. Then the rest is right. just, um, it's just your brain catching up. So the rest is just mental. Um, but yeah. I found I was really emotional. So I would, I was just, all these feelings came up. Like it was stupid. I'm like, I'm crying on the bus. And, but I'm not, I wasn't sad. Like I wasn't sad. It's not like I'd have a bad day and then I'd just be a hysterical emotional wreck. Like I just, I, I would go to get a coffee and sit by the beach and just tears would just explode out of my face. I'm like, what is going on? And what I realized is that is just the emotion that I was suppressing for years and years and it just compounded and then trauma and pressure and distress and life and disappointment and failure and all those things I never dealt with. I just used alcohol to cope with. So when you are coping with something, you cannot get resolve and you cannot move your life forward. So what happened in the 31 days for me is I actually dealt with a lot of stuff that I had been suppressing. So I just let the emotions come out and I and I also, which I think is really important for every human being on the planet, 
is I went to a therapist um, and I still see Frankie. She's amazing because she helps me articulate. Like sometimes I would go to, and I'm, I don't mean every day, like I, went, I go once a month I see her now. But at the time I was seeing her maybe once or twice a week because there was a lot of stuff coming up and I wanted to, I needed an expert to help me understand what was happening in my emotional life. And I think... Yeah. Like, people talk about, you know, fitness. People talk about your sex life. I think our emotional life is a, is a legitimate part of our lives that we have not been given the tools to manage effectively. And so we just go and find something that will stop it all from happening because it's too much. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know why. I just went on a random tangent. Oh, emotion. Yeah, you get emotional. Um, so, um, I cried so much. No, I, it was just because all this stuff came up. And so I don't know that that's necessarily a super po- – like I don't know anyone listening to this that would be like, oh, cool, I want to get super emotional on the beeline when I'm on my way to work. I'm going to stop drinking. So that's, you know, that was one of the things that was it, – it happened and I wasn't expecting it to happen. But just the my – um, my level of self-awareness increased dramatically because I wasn't constantly worrying about, oh, God, what did I do last night? Or what will people think of me if I don't drink? Or what do people think of me because I drink all the time? So I stopped caring. I didn't stop caring about humans. I stopped caring about their opinions and having that affect me. So I became more... It's so funny... I, as I said this, I just sat up straighter in my chair because that's what I feel like if there was a physical way to explain those first 31 days for me. I, I just became self-aware enough to go, you know what, I think I'm going to be good and I haven't been good and I, I've been irresponsible with dealing with my stuff and my life stuff and my choices so I'm going to take responsibility for that and that level of empowerment that's why I I kind of call the book self-empowerment because that level of empowerment you can't again you can't really articulate it to anyone until they go through that motion and that moment where they go okay I I'm starting to feel really good I feel really strong I feel independent I don't think I need things anymore I don't need to appease that person I'm I don't need to be attached to a career. I don't need to have my business card, you know, and my identity all mixed in together. You just get this ridiculous sense of clarity where I'm like, where was this train of thought 10 years ago? Like, where where was my brain? Where has it been? But when you get it back, you just don't want to lose it again, you know? It's such a gift. It's like the rebirth. It's so funny. And I, I mean, I can relate to all those things in the process as well, and the, and and actually being shit faced a lot, and and all that kind of stuff. And for you, is did you find a new social click, or you know, what's your? I love the empowerment thing that you're saying for starts as well, like how you, it, it your own, you're taking responsibility for your the energies that you absorb, your emotions, the way people affect you, the things that go you go through life, you're owning them and saying, right, this is my responsibility now. It's in my body and I need to process it and deal with it and resolve it for the for the better of myself and then for the better of everyone else. So you're like you're essentially you're purifying yourself or resolving karma or like cause and effect energy. And so no wonder you stood up tall because it's like absolute empowerment. That's, that's so cool. I love the way you said that. Thanks. Yeah, it's I just there's, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> like, I'm just like, because as we're talking, I'm just going through like 
you know, I've had these really cool little milestone checkpoints in three and a half years, and I'm like, man, I probably need to write another book. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, I'd love to see another one. But, yeah, let's get people started on the journey first. I think, you know, that one step at a time, right? I think it's just such an important thing in our society in general is to take responsibility for ourselves because I think when we denounce responsibility or sever this connection with our body mostly I think that it is like our body's telling us something I'm exhausted I'm I've got I've got trauma I need to resolve well, you know like that's one thing I've uh, I've noticed the threat thread in all these pursuits of like meaning I guess um is that taking responsibility and listening to our body is is very it's much harder to do because it doesn't feel that good and like you say all that emotional shit comes up but if we didn't have we just need to kind of parent, parent, parent or parente, <laughs> parent ourselves into a place where um, we can do it safely and, and just look after ourselves during that time or ask a friend to do that kind of thing because cause it is hard. It's super hard. And that's the thing in a lot of ancient cultures. They had these ceremonies or these processes or these coming of age things where they resolved, truly resolved, um, you know, awoken to their power, resolved th- their traumas. Like there's there's plenty of therapies and um, processes like that and it's just not in our culture or it's, it's getting less and less stigmatized, I think, but... It's definitely not, it's definitely not in our culture it, and I think our society, it does not, our society is not set up to see us flourish. That's what I, that's my casual observation. Um, yeah. <laughs> you look at the food industry and you look at, the way in which social media has taken over and they have very little benefit to us as thriving, excellent, empowered humans. But I truly believe that everyone has the capacity to deal with the choices that they've made without, you know, added anything, without added sugar, without added anything to make us feel okay about the dumb choice that we made and then it's about learning to make better choices and that's again another sort of offshoot of the social rebellion is I want people to make great choices and be good with them and I I made so many dumb choices for so long because I didn't know any better but when you know better you do better so I'm like okay let's get the education out there and I really believe because I know now I I have the capacity to deal with anything that gets thrown my way, good, bad or indifferent. I have the capacity to resolve it and deal with it very well. And I'll give you an example. So um, I quit drinking on the 1st of January 2015 and I just started the Sydney Breakfast Show that year. So I did a year of, of breakfast radio in a very intense, volatile um, breakfast market with a lot of pressure. Yeah. And on the 6th of October, I was told that I was fired. <laughs> now, yeah, wow. that was one of the most devastating phone calls I've had. Did I go to the bar and smash a few vinos? Nope. Did I want to? Hell yeah. <laughs> I totally did. I was like, well, what, what else do you do when you get fired from, you know, fired from a show and it's all in the newspaper and you're publicly humiliated and 
the career that you've wanted for so long that finally happened after so much hard work just got snatched away. Like, what else do you do? But I didn't. And I, I went through that whole thing and I did not rely on alcohol to get me through it. And I have come out the other side stronger, better and so grateful that that happened on that day because look at look at the result. The Social Rebellion wouldn't exist if I was still hosting that show, for sure, I know that. And maybe I still wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't be drinking alcohol still, but I wouldn't have been able to articulate it and have the time to put it into a book and start a movement. So I just, I know that my capacity, that was one of the moments too where I was like, geez, I'm getting really good at dealing with life, you know, like <laughs> 10 months of not drinking and like massive curveball and I'm actually great and I'm not going to go and, and commiserate at the bar. And even when um, I love my breakfast radio team, that was so awesome. Um, but after our last show, every, we all went to, you know, you all go to the pub because what else do you ever do in radio other than go out for drinks and do radio? Um, and we sort of had like our, you know, final last hurrah lunch. And I said to my boss, I was like, what time's the lunch slash booze fest? Um, and she said, it's at 12. And I said, I'll be there at one. And I went to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a nerd. I went to the gym and did a workout. I had a shower, made myself feel awesome, and I walked into that pub at one, and I hung out with everyone until six, and I drank soda water, and everyone had a great time. But I was so in control of my choice, and I was so fine to not drink. And that, that was the, the season 10 months in where I was like, I don't think I'll ever drink again. If I can go through something so brutal yeah. and come out the other side and and happily, it wasn't like I was sitting at the pub going, damn it, I wish I could have a drink with everyone. I'm missing out. I was just sitting there going, I'm, I'm so empowered here. I, and I'm, I'm so glad that I can interact with everyone and I don't have to have a drink to feel like I'm connecting with people. I can just sit here and be me and, and have genuine connection until the sun goes down and everyone loses their minds. And that's when I leave. I mean, I want to go down so many avenues, but I'm just trying to pick one. So, but I'm going to dig into, uh, if you don't mind, talking about the energy of media and the, the high pressure environment of that, essentially why you were drawn to it and then also what you found out about it as you were deeply embedded in it. Oh, wow. That is such a loaded question. Okay. So, why was I drawn to it? I'm just a massive attention seeker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you know what's funny? Okay, that it's actually a bit funny. I, I've only just started unpacking this for myself. Um, yeah, I went right. to I went to a. Have you ever had a shiatsu massage? A shiatsu? Is that Japanese? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. Well, I went to. I had a shiatsu massage sesh with this kind of Ryoho yoga. Session sounds like it was like an eight-hour thing. <laughs> yeah, it was, can you imagine an eight-hour massage? That would be heaven. Um, Avery did that on the radio show. <laughs> how many hours did he have a massage for? I think it was all day. It was like eight, eight or nine hours. Oh, I would probably get really <laughs> bored, actually. Anyway, I digress. I went to a Shiatsu massage therapist, and, the, and he is like a bit of a guru. In yep. Ryoho yoga, which is a Japanese style of yoga, which I practice and I love. And cool. he is just 
you know, so with shiatsu, like you go there and you lie down on your back on like a mattress and he just, well, this is, this was my experience. He just sort of like looked, he just like looked at my limbs and like touched my wrists and my ankles and then didn't really do much else. And then he knelt down beside me and he's like, right, so you're left he goes you see how your left foot slightly twists in so when I'm like when I'm sitting up with my legs straight on the ground my left foot is like slightly pigeon-toed if I if my feet are relaxed yeah and he goes you see that I'm like yeah he goes so that is the result so you've got a twisted hip and hips um store sadness and he goes so I think you've had a childhood trauma so and I'm like wow what I was just coming for a massage. <laughs> like, what the hell? And so he, so, and he said, your body doesn't lie and your body is your story. And he's like, so all of the stuff that has happened in your life is in your body and I'm going to help you untwist your hip and rinse out that sadness from that childhood trauma. He goes, it doesn't even matter what it was. I'm like, I don't know what it was. I had a great childhood. <laughs> um, and, and so, and then another thing that, that came up is, um, and he, he talked about my, um, I guess, self-doubt was why I was attracted to media because I'm very, um, I'm very driven. So he, he was sort of talking along the lines of you for some reason have this, like you don't believe how excellent you are and you don't believe your own hype. And so you have sought out a medium that would give it to you externally because you can't generate it internally. So he goes, so oh, that wow. explains the whole, the whole, he goes, that explains the whole media thing. And I'm like, <laughs> how did you just psychoanalyze me? And I just needed to get my pigeon toe fixed. I know. I'm like, what the, oh, it was, it blew my mind. So since then, that was, that was about a year ago. Since then, I, I have done a lot of journaling about why, why did I, why was I attracted to media? Why did, why was I so good at it? You know, why did I love it so much, but it caused me so much um, anxiety and there was so much pressure. Like there were so many negatives during the journey, but, but when you're trying to seek outside validation, you don't, in, you don't process the internalized stress it's causing you you just go for the yeah but like my face is on a billboard and I got to interview this celebrity and everyone's kind of a bit jealous of me in my life so that feels good so I'll keep doing that thing so that's why I think I was attracted to media what I learned in throughout my entire journey in media was nothing about myself (laughs) because I've done the self-work since leaving because when you're in uh, I think an industry that is 24-7 or 24-8, if that's even a thing, like what's more than 24-7, that's media. <laughs> you don't ever have the space and the time to sit back and go, how am I going? Not, not did I do a great break on the radio or did we nail that interview or, you know, is that journalist going to publish an article to um, get our show name out there so that people will read that and then listen to our radio show and our ratings will go up and then we'll get paid more money. Like all of these things, your, your whole being is consumed by and there's no room for you. So I, looking back now, I think it was the best way to distract myself from the self-work 
of mm. of finding true love for me and because I didn't have any of that and I I can only acknowledge it now that I'm out of that game and I've gone on this you know wild journey of self-awareness and empowerment but I think that one of the reasons why I was so great at it too is because um, I was trying to seek more and more validation and more and more acknowledgement from other people telling me that I was awesome so that maybe yeah. I'd finally believe it. And yeah, wow. Yeah, and, that, and it's funny because I got told a lot <laughs> how awesome I was and our show did yeah. really well. And I ended up in rooms and offices that blew my tiny mind. I was like, how the hell did I get here? It like, felt like a massive imposter, but I just went with it. I'm like, I'll take it. I'll, I will do this for as long as I can and for as long as you know, I can service this part of my life. And then, I mean, it was a beautiful way that it happened where I didn't choose to tap out. Like I got benched. And so I was kind of forced to, to go on that journey of self because I had the time and I, I, I had to completely reconfigure how I thought about me because for, for 12 years it was Maz the TV chick or Maz the radio chick. Like you, it was never just Maz. It was just Maz the something or Maz the person that was on the morning show every week or Maz the entertainment reporter or, you know, Maz that went in the casino beef week queen pageant. <laughs> all of the stupid things that we did in radio because you can because it's awesome like that and when I left media I didn't have that dot 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 and that was really brutal and really tough for a little while because I was like who even am I now and what I realized is I was doing my what in life so what was I entertainment reporter radio host um you know some would say role model, some would say successful. They were all the what's in my life. And then when I left radio, I realised we have to find our why. And when you find your why, the what doesn't matter. So I was able to find my purpose after I left doing a job that I now can't tell you why I was doing. Other than that, I was great at it and I kept getting offered more money to do other jobs. And I kept saying yeah. yes. And that was that. <laughs> so when I left, I went on this, I read this great book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. And I managed to articulate my purpose in life. And I was like, wow, that feels much easier. I'll just do that now. <laughs> and, however, and however that is expressed, so long as it's ticking the why box for me now, I'm really good for it. And if it doesn't tick the why box, I just say no. And I'm happily, I'm happy to say no to stuff that's not going to serve me serving my purpose. Wow, that's so powerful, man, to have it, have it down that clear and to surrender your identity. That's, it. That's, no, that's no small thing, you know, like... It was a huge thing. It was, and I remember um, my now husband... Um, he was so, so supportive during that whole season when I was just, I was a bit of a mess for a little bit, probably because I wasn't getting blind to deal with <laughs> the, the decision. Um, but I, I remember saying to him, like, 
I don't. I'm like, who even am I? Like, I was just so angry. I'm like, who am I without radio? Like, who am I without this show? Who am I without my co-host? But all those things were the external validation that I needed for me to think that I was someone. And yeah. um, and he just went, I know who you are. He's like, I don't care what you do for a job. I just want you to be you because I love you for you, not what you do. And it really, it was wow. such a cool moment because I remember my brain twisting and I'm like, so you, oh, so everyone else, not everyone, but a lot of people love me for what I do or for what I can do for them. But he loves me for who I am. And I didn't even know who I was in that moment. And he was like, it doesn't matter. We'll find her. We'll figure it out. And so having somebody that was just so on point with support and just genuine love was such a, a, I feel so, so incredibly honoured to do life with him because he, he twisted my brain into this like this great place where I was able to go, okay, cool, I'm going to go find out who she is. What do I need to do? And then I, you know, start journaling and Googling and I find books and I do research and I listen to podcasts and and I did the work, you know, and it was tough work but great work to do. So cool, man. It's it's such a powerful, powerful journey because I think everyone can relate to that thing of being something that they see themselves reflected in the world as or, or meeting expectations of, and but surrender surrender your identity like that is is absolutely like I mean that's what that's what you do when you drop DMT you you completely you're fo- you're forced to the only bad trip you have is when you try to cling on to your sense of localized awareness of what you are and if you don't surrender you have a traumatic experience but if you surrender it's the most enlightening empowering beautiful all seeing all knowing all experiencing unity <laughs> moment. Um, that you could ever have and so you're actualizing that in a very 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 real way in your integrated reality with your eyes awake <laughs> yeah and it, it was it's scary too like I I definitely I remember like not so then the following year after that season so year so the second year that I did that I wasn't drinking I was doing a weekend radio show and then the year after that um, I got offered because we wrote out our contracts for a year on a weekend show. Um, yeah. And I got offered a couple of jobs in radio and it was so tempting to go back to the familiar because I yeah. was like, oh, oh, cool, I can redeem myself here, I can get back in the game, like I might have to move to a different state to do it, but I, I can rebuild my brand as a radio personality and I can, you know, and. And then I was like, hang on, no, uh, we're moving forward here. <laughs> Let, let's do yeah. the progression thing. Let's not regress back to the comfort zone of that is exactly the journey that I just figured out of I yeah. don't need to have a job title or a career to identify who I am and what I stand for. And here I am questioning whether or not I want to take a job in Canberra or whatever. <laughs> like, But yeah, it's, yeah. it's that was... And I, you know, I came to a, a really concrete decision. I was like, I'm 100% okay to turn down this job opportunity and here are my reasons why. But the, the comfort of something that you've done for so long is is really appealing because I'm like, I could just slip right back in there and, and, you know, do all the stuff that I was doing and and 
and just do that forever. But then it wasn't going to serve my why. So now everything has to come under that filter. So I think there are a lot of people who they do so much stuff and if you ask them what they did, their list is like 10 pages long, you know. And if you ask them why, they go, what? (laughs) I just do it because I have to or I just do it because I've got a crazy million-dollar mortgage because I bought a house in Sydney or... I have to because it's the family business or I have to because everyone has to have a side hustle. Like everyone has to, you have to have a full job, full-time job and a side hustle. If you don't have a side hustle, you're not working hard enough and you're not busy enough, you know. But if you ask anyone why, and that's my, I am that annoying person now. I ask people why all the time. And, yeah, and it's a great question. Oh, because we don't ask it enough and, and it's one of the most unanswered questions when you go, yeah. what? so why are you doing that? Well, because I have to. Do you know you don't actually have to do anything? You are making a choice to do that? Did you realise that? Oh, that's a great argument to have. <laughs> no, but I don't have a choice. No, no, no. 100% you have a choice. You don't, there's some things that you can't control. Like I couldn't control the phone call from the radio boss is telling me that I didn't have a job anymore, but I 100% took responsibility for my response to that and I decided to respond well. I could have been a massive jerk about that. I could have been really irresponsible and immature and I could have reacted, but I chose to respond. And I just think these are the things that there's not enough conversation about because I do believe... If people just started figuring out their why, they would be less stressed because they would probably let 90% of the things that they think they have to do just go by the wayside and focus on being a great human and a good parent and a great colleague and there's going to be less drama and less trauma. And that that's the place to start. And, and no one's really starting there. You know, like I'm 38 and I've figured it out. I'm like, well... My 20s were a total mess because I had no sense of purpose. <laughs> but you, you feel, does it, I'd love to know what your why is specifically and, and, and what, is there some crossover with it back then? It, it keeps changing actually. Like I, so at the moment, um, just to paint a picture, I am sitting in, like we've got this beautiful big long dining table that my husband built because he's a builder and a carpenter. And I'm sitting at that and I'm looking into our kitchen area and on the fridge it says in big block letters, empowering people to be better humans. So that is my purpose. And that is the one that is articulated on the fridge at the moment. But it actually keeps evolving. <laughs> so, yeah. the, so at the moment, it feels more like empowering and leading people to make great choices. So if, if something falls, so if somebody says to me, hey, do you want to come on this podcast? And I, and I go, yeah, what's your podcast about? And they're like, oh, you know, puppies. <laughs> I'm like, nah, is that going to empower or lead anyone to make a great choice? Probably not. I'll probably give that a miss. Although if it was a puppy-related podcast, I would go on that because I'm obsessed with puppies and I'm really dog clucky. So that was probably a bad, a bad example. But for the most part, it's got to serve my purpose. And so... I just do the things that do that now. So I own two gyms and I really believe that we have created two great communities 
that empower people to make better choices about their health, their wellness, their nutrition choices, um, and and their fitness. So that ticks that box. I wrote a book called The Social Rebellion. It's all about empowering people to redefine their relationship with alcohol. That totally ticks the box. I got asked to host a show on Channel 10, and I won't tell you what show it is, but it did not align with my purpose, and so I said no. <laughs> <laughs> wild, wild and pissed Friday night out. <laughs> Because it really just, it didn't, it wasn't even a question. I was like, that absolutely does not align with what I'm here to do. That That's not my yeah. life work. So thanks for thinking of me, but I'll give that one a miss. Man, it's fucking dope. It makes it easy. And the universe conspire. Yeah, the universe conspires massively. Because you're putting your hand up to be of service. You're putting your hand up. You know what you're about and you're a vessel for it to feel. So like... There's, and there's a shitload of need for it. So all the need's going to pour in your way. Yeah, it's pretty amazing when... and Because I've never really experienced this like I am experiencing it now. So when I was working in radio, I felt like I just kind of... I used to always say to people, well, accidentally nailing life. Like, I didn't feel like I had much control. I don't like the word control, but I didn't feel like I was entirely responsible for my level of success because that really came down to the big bosses in the radio stations listening to my show and asking me to do bigger shows. So I wasn't really, like, I wasn't really facilitating that. I was just lucky. I mean, I just, how many radio shows are there? And they just, like, picked ours, you know? It was a huge compliment. But I feel that now stuff happens and I'm like, wow, that... That's just beautiful, and I can't explain it, but I'm just going to go through that door just that just opened, and it wow. feels that I it feels like it's because I'm just like this vessel, and it's like the way I speak about the social rebellion is I truly believe since I named it the social rebellion, I gave life to it, and now I'm just facilitating where it goes. So it's not even me. It's not about necessarily me or my story or I did this thing and everyone should do this thing because look at me. It's actually not about, it's about everyone else that it can help. And now all I'm doing is taking calls and talking about it (laughs) and just trying to spread this message where I really believe this thing that I did can help you and your friend and your mum and your sister and so why don't you guys go and do that wonderful thing and let me know how it goes. That, and that, the doors that have opened without me even sneezing is, I can't really articulate because it, it is really overwhelming, just the opportunity. And that's not because I've worked for 24 hours in the day hustling. That's because I've just sat back and gone, I'm doing my life work now. Great. So, so good. <laughs> it's just inspiring and joyful to hear that you're that that's exactly where you are in life. It shouldn't be hard. Like, I, I see people struggle and no judgment. Like, everyone's on their own journey. But I see so many people, like, exhausted and tired and burnt out and they just look, like, depleted. And I'm like, oh, sweetheart. Like take the load off trying to tick all the boxes and just figure out your purpose and do that because I now I don't work I just get to do what I'm passionate about every day that's my life and so when people say I find this hilarious too Jez when people are like gee you must be so busy with the social rebellion I'm like no 
It's an absolute joy. And I've got really healthy boundaries around when I check my emails. Like, it's a total pleasure. I'm not, bu- I'm actually not busy. I'm the least busy I've probably been in my life, but my productivity is through the roof. Go, like, do the maths on that. That doesn't make any sense, but that's, that's what's happening. I'd love to know your boundaries and I'd also love to know how you, the, the process of finding one's purpose or your, what the one that you discovered was. So boundaries, um, I think most people crave boundaries, but we, we're all rebellious, so we just hate them at the same time. Um, so my, I actually am better with a routine. This is why I was great in radio as well, because I had to be on air at a certain time every day and I had to be, I had something to be accountable to. When you're an entrepreneur, it's a little bit different because it's, you know, there really isn't anything to be accountable to other than you just want to like get that bit of the, the work done. So I just have a daily routine where I get up at five, I do, and this is pretty much every day. So I get up at five, I do my yoga meditation, I make breakfast. (laughs) I love it. I make breakfast for my husband and then I get him out the door to work on the road and then I'll sit down. I might go for a walk depending on the day or I'll sit down at my computer and I'll do a few hours of work and then I go and I get out of the house and if I'm doing meetings it's usually in the afternoon so I can just do my work in the morning like as in emails and boring stuff um, which is a part of running a business Um, and then I'll do meetings in the afternoon so that I'm I feel like I'm social because another thing with being an entrepreneur when you're the one CEO slash founder of the business and there are no other employees is you can get really bored and you can get really unmotivated. So I'm like, if I engage with human beings in the afternoon, it brings me up. It's like my little afternoon coffee fix, even though I don't have a coffee, I I get full from that. And then I don't, and then I don't do any work in the evenings. I just don't because nothing's that urgent. Everyone can wait and I'll get back to you when I've set my structure down for my morning. But it took me a really long time to figure that out because for about 10 years I had a producer telling me what to do when I needed to do it and where I needed to be. And I had to like learn to manage my own schedule and that's a real skill in order to do it well. Um, Oh, so much It's really – and especially for creatives, oh, my gosh. It's – because I get – I mean – I get so distracted. It. I've had to delete, or I haven't had to, I decided to delete um, my Gmail and my Facebook apps from my phone. So now yeah. when I'm out of the house, I cannot. Because I, I found myself just checking emails. I would go for a walk with my phone in my pocket and then I'd sit down and look at the view and then whip out my phone and start looking at the emails. I'm like, what am I doing? This is so counterproductive I'm meant to be here immersed in nature filling up my soul cup and I'm like looking at flipping invoices what is going on so I deleted though I did that intentionally to give again that's putting a healthy constraint around my natural habit to distract myself from even a beautiful walk in nature I managed to distract myself from because my that's just what I do naturally so I've had to really it's a really it's a disciplined thing but meditation and mindfulness has helped me massively um just be present in my body and be okay to not do 400 million things today like 
I try and give myself two things to do every day. It used to be about 200. Now I'm like two. Probably got to like post that thing and might want to call my friend Nikki, who I haven't spoken to for a month, and just see how she's going. They're my two things today. <laughs> and that's it. Like today, okay. it was chat with Jez. Um, and then I'm going to see my sister-in-law this afternoon to hang out. That's it. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> Don't need to keep, you know. And you know what? Like, at some point, like, I've got stepkids, so I'm like, we'll feed the kids at some point. They'll, they usually tell us when they're hungry, so it's fine. That's not an issue. There's food in the fridge. I'm really lucky that, I, that that's, you know, the position that we're in. And what else? what else is there? It's like, let's just enjoy today and be together and just chill out. And it's the most freeing, awesome way to do life when, and I have people that I know who are like, today, they would have been like, okay, I'm gonna get up and go to the gym and then I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna have coffee with this person and that and then the lunch and then this and then dinner and then blah and then I've gotta check my emails and da da da. And I'm like, oh, I actually have a headache from you just talking, <laughs> shut up. And none of those things, none of those things involved me, so I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. The way it's like, as you're talking then, I was just looking out at like the trees um, and just smiling, smiling, grinning, grinning, because it's like you're just describing such a beautiful way to live that makes you so happy, so peaceful, so content, so in harmony and, and, and really intelligent because it's, it, to to have that level of dexterity with choice and and knowing you right for or you know good for bad because there is like things that serve you and don't serve you and living out is fucking awesome. It's so cool. You know, one other thing that I want to share because um, this this is a really kind of good little house rule that we have here. So yeah. when um, I first moved in with Glenn, who I'm now married to, but when we first started living together, um, mm. I like his phone would ring like in the late afternoon like he'd get home from work around 3 30 quarter to four because he's a tradie and so we'd just chill out in the afternoons because I was doing breakfast radio at the time and um and his phone would ring and I'd be like do you want to get that and he's like no my phone is for me to use not for me to answer I'll just call them back when I'm ready and because he's so chilled out and I'm like what do you mean like that is so rude. I'm like, you're rude. That's so rude, not answering that call. He's like, no, nah, that, that phone is not for everybody else's convenience. And I, and I, it, it used to drive me insane, Jez. I would be like, and or like a text message would come through and I would get off the couch and go to like the desk and get his phone and bring it back and give it to him. And I'm like, aren't you going to check that? Aren't you going to respond to that? And he's like, No. I'll just get back to them tomorrow. I'm like, oh my God. But what I really, and I, I love it now, cause that's like our house rule now is like phones. I don't even know where my phone usually is in the house. Cause I don't care because we do it on our agenda. And unless it's super, super urgent, like you cannot get in the way of us. Like our home is our sanctuary. And when we're connecting and we, you know, are here together, even a meal or whatever, like I don't want anyone interrupting that because that's my, that fills us up as humans and makes us better. So when you bring all these distractions and, and no judgment, but the more screens in your house, the more opportunity you have to distract yourself 
from actually connecting yep. with your family and with your children. And the, the family home is something that I think is getting destroyed and we're trying to bring it back. You know, like we are doing our very, very best to have a genuine, authentic, engaging connection in this home. And it's like meals at the dinner table and grace beforehand and no TVs and and not that we don't have a TV. We're not that insane. I mean, like, no, there's no TV on in the background when we're hey, eating. I don't have a TV. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured that you were one of those. Insane, <laughs> hey, insane, boys. You're probably close to living off the grid, Jez, which is my really secretly is what I would I would love to build a yurt somewhere and with my own hands and like live off the grid. But you know, I feel yeah. also that that no, you need integration. Well, that I wouldn't serve my, my purpose. You're better at your phone stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't serve my purpose. So, escape, yeah. you know, escaping from the <laughs> the hundreds of people that I want to help is also not a great. That's not a great option either. <laughs> It's so funny that you go through this this journey and then you have self-realization then you want to help other people have self-realization. It's just a fascinating, fascinating mechanic in the human species. And I wanted to just, the purpose stuff, like, so what was the, your process to find in your purpose? Yeah, so I read, I, I really have to like do a mad shout out to Simon Sinek who I don't, you, I'm sure most people would be like, oh, Who's that guy? But you would have definitely seen um, his TED Talk, um, What Inspires Great Leaders. And yeah. um, and he he's done a few things since he put out this book, but the book that I read was called Start With Why. And it... I don't necessarily think that I read that book and then went, oh, I know what my purpose is. I read that book and I went, oh, I need to find my purpose. So it, it, it articulated to me what I explained to you earlier that for 12 years I worked in media, so that is what I did and I was very, very good at it and I loved it, but I don't know why I did it. And now I know exactly why I'm here. So that shift, it, getting, getting your why down pat first and then adding everything onto that because um, I feel like once you get your why, I think I said this earlier, your what doesn't matter. So for me now, like I know what my purpose is and I'll get to how I actually got to the articulation of it in a sec. But now I know what my purpose is. It doesn't matter what opportunities come up. Just so long as they go through that filter, they'll work for me. And if they don't get through that filter, then they don't work for me. And that's that. So it just actually yeah. makes decision making really easy because oh like, man, how, how clear must life be? It's just a relief. I'm like, oh, that does not align with my purpose. No, simple, mm. and I don't feel bad, and I don't apologise ever. I never apologise. Even yeah. when I first stopped drinking, I made a point because I used to, um, I used to feel bad about stuff all the time, but like not because I needed to feel bad. It was this really weird self thing that I did where I was constantly apologising. And um, yeah. so when if somebody would ask me for if I wanted a drink, I would just... Ins- I wanted to say, no, I'm so sorry, I'm not drinking. Like, I'm letting them down. So I was really um, purposeful in going, I'm, no, no thanks, I'm good. Or, no thanks, I'll just have a water. And I had to really, like, reach, like train my brain to not do the apology thing but how I um how I drilled down to 
articulating my purpose is I journaled. And, and if you're not a journaler, I don't know what um, creative outlet you have, but you'll need to use whatever that gift is in you, I think, to find it. So for me, it was a lot of long walks in nature with no distraction and a lot of thinking space. And then I would just journal and I, I write every single day um, sometimes physically, like in my journal with a pen, sometimes physically on my computer with my fingers. But either way, I have to get stuff out of me. And I believe that I really believe that there's a magic in when you have a thought and you marry it with a physical action. Like there's some sort of chemistry that takes place there. And so, yeah. so I would write and write and write in my journal. And then eventually, after probably a few months, I, I just, I drilled it down and I was like, okay, the, so I wrote about the things that fill me up and then I realised they were the things that I thought filled me up but they weren't. So then I had to go back and, and like redo that list and I kept revising this list until I truly found what mattered to me. And it's funny because it's never your first draft. So it's never the, the, the headline, it's never the, the first thought that you have usually. For that stuff, I don't think, it, that's just what you convince yourself is important to yeah. you. But then you have to scratch that, delete that draft and then go back. And then you, you keep doing that process of what lights me up, what is important um, and why do I want to be here? That's the other thing. Is a, a big part of it for me was what do I want to do in my life? And for me, it's to help people. And so that, that is, you know, the embodiment of, I guess, the articulation of what I'm saying is it really is to help people and the way that I've articulated, I think, is like my flair on it and how, yeah. like the word empowering to me is so important. But in order yeah. to empower other people, you have to be empowered yourself. So I had to start with that. I had to be like, okay, I need to, I need to really live this. I have to live my purpose before it's going to be of value to anyone else. So for me, like it really was just a lot of journaling and a lot of writing and, 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 you know, that brings up emotional stuff as well. Um, and I think it, it's great to do that work. Like it's confronting cause you're like, man, I have so many issues, but at least I'm, <laughs> at least I'm getting through them one at a time. <laughs> I love how jovial you were about that. <laughs> it's, so tr- it's so true, though. I'm like, I'm beautifully complex, but I'm okay with that. Man, what a journey. And it's such a continuum, right? Like, you, you, there's always new little things bubbling to the surface in, in our psyche. I think that's the whole point of it, you know? Like, I, I, I'm a huge fan of moving forward and progress and not, not at a silly rate, you know, and not to tick boxes anymore. Like, I don't do stuff now for other people's approval, but I pretty much did my whole career for that. <laughs> and look where that ended. So it, it's such a redundant exercise. I think you've, you've got you've to be... And there's such a difference as well between being self-aware and being obsessed with yourself. And I, I yeah. think, you know, our Instagram culture is really, 
really pushing that narrative of being obsessed with you. Like, look at me, I'm doing this thing. Look at me, I'm at the shops buying groceries. Like, who cares? But the self-awareness, so my level of self-awareness is I'm at, well, I don't usually shop at the grocery store. I go to the farmer's markets, but I'm like, I'm at the farmer's markets buying groceries and no one else gives a shit about that. So I'm not going to put that on Instagram. That's the difference, you know? So you write, so that's an interesting thing just to go into socials for a moment because I definitely know that trap and that energy in that realm. And, and, and so you, you feel like you've transcended that by a simple mechanic of going, does anyone else care about this? That's my, that's my um, social media filter pretty much. So social media is really tricky for me because I don't... Um, I say that I have to have it but only because like my Facebook page is attached to my two businesses. So I, I actually can't delete my Facebook page without deleting my business pages and that, that's counterproductive. So, um, but I've just put, again, it's all about boundaries. So I've unfollowed everybody. This was a couple of years ago I did this. Like I have unfollowed everyone on, so my newsfeed now is pretty much like um, really cool video recipes from this Facebook page called Goodful, TED Talks. Yeah. Um, Oprah's Soul Session TV. Uh, yeah. I think there's a bit of Deepak in there, like just stuff that is going to fill me up. And I don't yeah. actually follow any of my actual friends, so I don't know what's going on in their lives. But that's great because then when we catch up, and I'm like, "Hey, what's been going on?" And my friends like, "Didn't you know that I went to Europe?" I'm like, "No, you never told me. Tell me how is Europe?" And then you get to have a real conversation. I actually find it much better. And then yeah. similar with Instagram, like. Um, Again, it's he- it's, it is healthy boundaries and I try not to put photos of myself on my Instagram. I use it more of a, hey, th- like, you know, there's this cool aerobics class that I'm doing on Friday night and instead of having a photo of me doing the aerobics, it's like something aerobics related. Like I try not yeah. to put too many photos of myself because I just don't, I don't know, it just seems so showy and, and again, there's no point. I try to only share stuff that I genuinely think people would benefit from or that I want people to know about. Um, yeah. And, again, that's discipline. Like, it's, that's really hard. It's hard to... I think, again, once you get out of the habit, though, probably a couple of years ago I'd be like, ooh, that's a pretty sunrise oh, let's take a photo. And now I'm like, oh, that's a pretty sunrise. I'm going to watch it until it's right up high in the sky. <laughs> so nice. You, you must feel so much more connected to yourself and others and your environment, hey? Yeah, and I've just become a huge nature lover. I think I always was a nature lover. Um, like I grew up doing bushwalks in the Blue Mountains with my family on, you know, like weekends away and stuff. And I'm like some of my favourite memories of being a teenager was like me my mum and my dad would walk our rottweiler Keisha around the block and it was a 4k walk and that's when I used to like just connect with my parents when they were together and so that you know I think walking's always been a thing for me and so just being able to get out of the house and walk and I talk about that a lot in the 31 days I'm like just go and flap your wings in nature today because that makes that takes the edge off that relaxes you, that makes you feel oh, better no, and there's no hangover and it and you don't have to, like, it's free. <laughs> there's, you, you, like, there's so many reasons why going just for a walk in the outdoors is going to give you all of the natural benefits of what you think alcohol is probably going to give you, which it doesn't. You just 
you believe the lie that that you've been sold about that. So, um, and I also think, I know it sounds weird, but like we're from the earth and so connecting back into the earth is, you know, a part of our journey. That's so weird. That's such a weird idea. Yeah. I feel, (laughs) I feel some people will be like, you're such a weirdo, but I just, I feel like when, so snowboarding is my favourite thing to do ever. And when I, so I went to Canada at the end of last year for a month with my family on a holiday and I, if this happens every time I go to the snow, I got on that chairlift and it was minus 12 and I got to the top of that lift and I got off and I looked out and I burst out crying because I was so overwhelmed by how magnificent our nature wow. and our world is. And so, so bringing that down to like a daily, you know, like living in this daily it's stuff like let's stop using plastic and like it's all these things of like let's not trash our environment let's live lives where we our footprint isn't damaging you know let's tread lightly on on the earth so when i say like we're from the earth it's like this really holistic living that i do now where it's it's not that i just don't drink alcohol it's like i want to look after our planet and and it it all it all intertwines really beautifully when when you get the initial clarity that like we actually are here t- to we have to look after the place that we we've been given right otherwise yeah like oh, what man. what are we doing so so it's, the, it's the whole, sorry no go I was just gonna say it's actual insanity to to not be in harmony with your environment I mean this fucking earth birthed us we wouldn't be here without it and. And to have that disconnect or non-embrace of it is is in total insanity. So what you're saying is purely sane. And when you when you are in nature more, you get a bigger revelation of that. And 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 I'm getting a bigger and bigger revelation after doing this for a few years now. But every time I, you know, get down to the beach and put my feet in the ocean or I'm walking through trees and listening to birds I get this real sense of like okay I want to serve this place well because it's serving me right now you know it's here and it's beautiful and it's filling up my cup so let you know that that's that's I guess one of the benefits that I've not really actually considered until speaking to you about it of my of my alcohol free journey as well as this is amazing appreciation for the miracle that we get every day (laughs) that's so wonderful isn't that isn't that something we need to wake up to every morning every morning beautiful and what i think that's a beautiful place to wrap because i feel like we could talk forever oh my gosh we we actually could probably do the world's longest podcast episode like we would we go way longer than joe rogan I think I listened to one of his podcasts and it was nearly three hours long. I can't remember who it was with and I I couldn't stop. It was just, he's phenomenal. Just quickly on the psychedelics, have you explored much of that stuff other than research? No, I haven't. I, I only just got introduced to the whole idea on this podcast episode that I was listening to with Michael Pollan and I, um, he's written a book about it. So I, I'm a bit of a Michael Pollan nerd. So I will probably get that book. And it, but what they were talking about sounded very interesting to me and, and I am very conservative in that regard. So, Well, the, I, th- I think he was a perfect candidate for it because he was such, so neutral and so journalistic about it, that it, it and it needs that twist because it's such a 
powerful thing and anyone that does it is does it you know consciously at least is 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 like oh my god this is the best thing ever if if only the world did this and, the, and there'll be no suffering he he's way more measured and way more considered and way more scientific so i think it, it needs that voice yeah i yeah i I think I would believe anything Michael Pollan endorsed. Like, that's how credible he is to me. So the fact that he managed to broach a subject that I was like, cool, isn't that just, like, totally illegal and just not okay? (laughs) And now I'm like, oh, my God, this is actually really interesting research. I think that probably speaks for itself. But I don't, I mean, I don't know anything, like, personally. I don't have a story to share. But maybe I will in the future. That'll be our next episode. Well, thanks so much, Maz. Uh, massive love and um, you, I love all the work you're doing and how powerful it is. Thanks for your support. You're just a great person to chat to and you're a good human. <laughs> You've always been a good human and I love that about you. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs> Lots of love. See ya.